What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Run Your Mouth podcast. This is an absolute pleasure. We've got Sam Parker back on the line. If you were here with us, he he sounded the alarm bells months before the news did. And so first off the bat, I don't know how often you hear this in your life, but I'd like to congratulate you on being right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's a rare treat for anybody, I guess, these days, and especially me. So, I'll, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> now, one of the things that is so interesting to me, and I know we're going to get a little bit more granular on this, but at the outset, you were the first person kind of really on Twitter going, hey, guys, this is a man-made thing, and it's going to be bad. This thing can spread. Like, be warned and just know it's man-made. And at the time, you were yanked off Twitter, and you were, that was like a view that it was like, dude, you cannot have that view. You cannot be spreading that view. And now already in mainstream media, most of like the reports I'm reading are people going, hey, this did not come from a wet market. Also, and you had said this, and it didn't make sense to me at the time, when they're studying this virus now, they're realizing this was an advanced virus. It's not mutating because somebody already mutated it. It's like ahead of the normal curve of where viruses are. Uh, right. And so now it's just in mainstream media where people are kind of reading this thing and going, hey, this thing appears to be man-made. So I'll let you take it from there a little bit about how this is man-made and how ridiculous it is that you can be yelled at like, hey, you're wrong. Your opinion can't be on the Internet. And then three months later, they get to just shift opinions like without, you know, any apology or acknowledgement of who they censored who turned out to be right. Right. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to go through that cycle. Uh, <clears throat> there, there's that famous quote by by Gandhi, I believe, that goes something like, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win." <laughs> right. Right. Uh, something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But yeah, I, I recognized early, or at least I thought early. You know, the the signs pointed to uh, that this virus was man-made. In fact, I went back through after our last podcast, I went back through and looked at my texts with, uh, with friends and other messages, uh, with, uh, with, with chat groups that I'm in. And I found that back in, in mid to late January, even I was, I, uh, had started to suspect that it was man-made and I, and I had commented to friends at the time, you know, as we were talking about this day over day over day, and we were venting our thoughts to each other, I had commented at the time, it seemed like every day we've got more data, and I noticed that with the more data that we got, the the probability or likelihood that this was man-made seemed to get seemed to grow. And, and I had the hypothesis at the time that if this weren't man-made, then as we get more data, it should it should stop looking like it is a man-made event, right? I mean, that was my hypothesis at the time that it, it, if if it's not a man-made virus or a man-made event, then as we get more data and as the situation develops more, then it's then the hypothesis is going to diverge. The indicators are going to diverge away from man-made, right? But it seems like every day as we got more data and found out more information, more factors piled up pointing towards man-made. And so that was, that was sort of the precursor to... Uh, or the run-up, if you will, to my, my tweet thread in early February that said, you know what, guys, this is man-made. Uh, because after several weeks of monitoring it, and and it just seemed like more information kept playing closer. It, it, more There were more intersecting lines of evidence, uh, you know, more triangulation. 
so that was interesting. And so that's kind of what led up to me uh, tweeting out that thread. It was the result of several days and weeks worth of thinking and, and pondering and study. Uh, and then as you, as you alluded to, Twitter uh, quickly started censoring me. It didn't take long for them to, uh, first, one of the first things they did was uh, they limited my ability to share it. Like if I would paste the link somewhere to share it, uh, it wouldn't let me. Or it would, uh, it would ghost, it would ghost the, the, the link, right? So if I were to respond to somebody's tweet saying, hey, does anybody know if this is man-made or not? I'm paraphrasing. And then if I wanted to paste my link with that evidence, uh, it simply wouldn't show up on their thread. Nobody would see it. So it's like my whole account wasn't shadow banned, but my links that I was sharing were shadow banned. And not all the links, just some of the links, just the links from that thread. So that was the first thing they started doing. Uh, and then they uh, started making me, uh, locking my account, making me re-verify, you know, repeatedly. When just in January, I had gone through the process of sharing my passport and driver's license with them to verify my account. Uh, and then just a few weeks after that, they're asking me to, you know, verify that I'm not a bot, uh, you know, sometimes four or five, six times a day. Uh, and, you know, that really slows down your tweeting, right? And it, and whenever they do that, people can't see your account. Uh, and then after that, they just straight up deleted the whole thread. For a couple of weeks, that entire thread was just deleted. You couldn't see it. And so then what I did was I retweeted the whole thread, and then they responded by shadow banning me like my entire account uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, and I thought, well, this is it. I'm shadow banned. There's, you know, there's no, I've never heard of anybody becoming unshadow banned once, uh, you know, once you get into that area where your replies are being de-boosted, you know, and, and, and nobody can see your tweets. Uh, but for, uh, for what I, compl- I complained using the reporting feature, I actually... Here's a funny thing for all you out there who are wondering how to combat Twitter's malfeasance. I started reporting Twitter support, the Twitter support account. If you go to the Twitter support as a Twitter account, and you can actually report it just like you can any other account. And there's actually no way to appeal a shadow ban formally. You can go to the, you know, to the, uh, to the help, you know, user help for Twitter, and they have all sorts of services for if you need help with this or that, but there is no reporting feature if you've been shadow banned. There's, so I decided I'm just going to report Twitter support for being abusive, and then when in the comments box, they usually give you a comments box to explain your situation. I'm going to use that to plead my case. So I did that, and it worked, and I got on shadow banned, and they undeleted my account. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so. All right, guys, sadly, tech errors. This is what happens when, uh, you know, coronavirus living and you try and turn your car into a studio. Um, hopefully we didn't miss too much there. But Mr. Parker was just telling us about Twitter's Twitter's game here, why they're censoring him and the collusion between all the big media companies. So I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, I, uh, we can see the collusion, right? There's collusion happening between the big the big tech companies. Uh, I call it Big Tech Tyranny. I hashtag it Big Tech Tyranny. <laughs> and if anybody follows me on Twitter or, goes, or uses Twitter, they can search the hashtag Big Tech Tyranny and find me and lots of other people, you know, tagging stuff about it. But we, we know that there's collusion. You know, we saw how Alex Jones was deplatformed by, you know, I don't know, a dozen different platforms within a day or two of each other. Like, 
oh, yeah, that was just accidental, right? Uh, and, it, and it happens to other people. They, they lose their YouTube channel, then they get deplatformed from Twitter, you know, then, and, and they get, you know, or whatever it is, there, there's collusion. So I don't know how it operates, but I do know this. Uh, for a while, anytime I <clears throat> tweeted about Bill Gates, I would immediate, my account would immediately be frozen, and I would have to verify that I wasn't a bot. Uh, so I learned to type in Gil Bates instead of Bill Gates. Uh, same thing with the word bioweapon. I, I learned quickly that anytime I tweeted about bioweapon, using the word bioweapon, Twitter would lock my account and make me verify I wasn't a bot. Uh, so now I separate bioweapon with, with hashtags and spaces and stuff uh, to fool the algorithm uh, and so on. And I do that with a, a few different things. Uh, it seems like you have to do that because uh, they are, you know, manipulating. Uh, they have some sort of manipulation and you have to find these workarounds. So, and, it, you know. And you, th- you think Bill Gates is in the inner circle with Facebook and tw- like, I would almost think he's a competitor of these groups because you're basically describing to me, um, Google, which is also YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. Those are to me the, the social media platforms and they do seem to work in tandem. Um, even though I know you use Bing, but I would think, uh, Gates would be outside of that circuit unless you're just saying that for whatever reason, that's still just a hot button topic that they like to censor. I was just going to say, uh, I don't know like how hooked any is in the Twitter or Facebook or whatever. I suspect, uh, you know, we know that several years ago, Apple and Microsoft, I think it was, uh, were uh, found, and maybe Amazon too and Google, they were found to be colluding with each other to not poach each other's talent and drive up wages. Uh, and they were exposed for doing that. Uh you know, we see how, they, but but they definitely operate like a cartel, right? Yeah, there's there's competition amongst them in certain aspects, but they operate as a cartel and they shut they shut uh, other platforms out uh, and and use their power abusively. I mean, we saw how YouTube was deplatforming and banning and deleting any videos uh, that said anything contrary to the official who. Uh, you know, the, the WHO's official policy on the coronavirus and COVID-19, right? We saw lots of videos get deplatformed and deposted and deleted because of that. Uh, just yesterday and today, I saw that a gentleman uh, who used to be a reporter for the New York Times wrote a book, wrote a book and published it on Amazon, and Amazon uh, uh, deplatformed it. And Elon Musk was tweeting about that today. Uh, so, you know, calling out Jeff Bezos, you know, so there does seem to be high-level coordination um, between these tech companies at high levels. I don't know how it works. I don't know the details of it, but I think it's pretty clear that that's happening. So in in your opinion, because it is obvious that we've got an issue of we're not living in an environment where we can easily get free information. And when you talk about censorship, it goes as far as them censoring our president. There's an elected official who's the guy in charge, and you think if there's one person that would be untouchable, it would be the president. But now he's being editorialized by Twitter. When he was taking hydroxychlorine, Google was altering the search results because to them, hydroxychlorine has no proof of being helpful. It might even, according to them, be harmful. So if the president's taking it, they don't even factually want people to be able to look up and see that he's taking it because it might impact their decision to take it. So that's right. Before we get into the hydroxychlorine thing, um, to you, because I get very fearful about handing over any power to the government, especially because 
I see these big tech companies at the moment being more in working in tandem with the left. And I kind of think, hey, if we get some sort of a government person to step in and say, hey, these are not private companies, but now they're public places and they, they, there needs to be protection of free speech. Um, right. I see that as being like a tool that can very quickly get turned on us. And, you know, even though I guess I don't at, like yeah. that solution, I understand what you're saying. I don't like the solution of putting the government in control of regulating the companies uh, for for the reason that you just uh, enumerated. Uh, and, and other reasons. Number two, whenever you create a regulatory body or a regulatory system, it gets captured. It's called regulatory capture, right? Uh, right. And every one of our bureaucracies is captured right now. Right? That's a big problem. Uh, it's captured by insiders, and then it ceases to work for the people, and it works for the insiders and cronies, right? Uh, even with the FBI, you know, the DOJ, it's captured, right, uh, by rich elites and corporations. Uh, so, so I don't like that for a couple of reasons. Number one, I, uh, you know, I don't think, uh, I don't think it's constitutional for the government to be regulating speech directly, number one. And number two, it, it, it creates a system that can get captured and then it's worse than we're worse off. Right. Right. Uh, so, so I think there are actually other solutions that are better and constitutional. Uh, and I don't know necessarily which ones are the best. Uh, but uh, I think they should all be explored. Well, I haven't heard no. any. I I really have not heard anyone propose anything that even sounds like a marginally decent solution. So I'm open to exploring any possibilities. Lay them out for well, us. I, here's a couple low hanging fruits. Uh, number one, Trump has 80 million followers on Twitter. I don't know how many it is on Facebook, but it used to be massive. I know that for a couple of years now, Facebook has been de-boosting him and manipulating him. But I know it's, he's got a big, he, he did have a really big presence on Facebook. You know, three years ago, he should have started transitioning to other platforms. Or he could have, right? Like, he could have started transitioning to Gab two, one, two, three years ago. And he could have opened a Gab account uh, because they don't censor, right? They let anything go. And he could have said, I'm moving to Gab, and he could have opened up a Gab account and had a Twitter and a Gab account. He could have had both, right, where he posts to both. And then he said, in six months or three months or whatever it is, I'm not going to be tweeting anymore. It's going to all be through Gab, right? And he could have worked with, uh, he could have had his people working with the Gab platform, you know, getting their infrastructure and user interface up to speed, up to spec, right? And he could have, and he would have gone over to Gab, and then all of his followers would have gone to Gab, 80 million of them, and then the media would have been forced to go over to Gab to cover him, and then all the people that hate him, you know, the TDS folks, the Trump deranged people, they would have had to go over to Gab, and all of a sudden you would have had tens of millions more people on Gab, uh, a platform that isn't censored, right? And he, and, and he, there's very few people that have the power to uh, basically, uh, uh, you know, what, what's the word I'm looking for? To, you know, uh, to basically imbue a new social media platform with instant uh, viability, right? There have been, we're, we're aware of, you know, lots of other platforms out there uh, that are only, you know, have only minor success. You know, we have Parler, we have Gab, uh, there's Vote, there's BitChute, there's YouTube, there's Library, uh, there's uh, uh, Minds. Uh, Telegram. There's all these other. There's all these other platforms that, to one degree or another, yeah, you know, have small amounts of success, this or that. But they're they're not viable. They're not mainstream. 
they tend to be uh, very distasteful for normies, mainstream normies, to excuse that excuse that expression, because you know that's where the people that uh, uh, normies would think that, you know, that's where the racists are and the Nazis, you know, because these are people that have been deplatformed and they go they go to these they're the first adopters of these platforms, so they're a little harsh to the regular person, right? They're more on the fringe, but somebody like Trump moving over brings the middle masses with him, right? And those French people become the French again, right? They're not the dominant voice on those platforms. Now, all voices are there. Nobody's getting censored, but they're not the dominant voice anymore. So he could have done that, right? He could have done that three years ago, two years ago, one year ago, right? Uh, he didn't. Uh, he just whines about it. Right? So that's, that's the one solution. He, and he could have worked with uh, uh, and maybe some of these other you know, video content uh, 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 social uh, channels, like I said, like BitChute or YouTube or Library or something, to get them up to snuff and up to par to be serious YouTube competitors, right? Uh, he, you know, so there's things that uh, he could do, and then he could call upon his allies to open up accounts on those platforms, right? Uh, all things that he hasn't done, he hasn't done any of those things, but he could. And if he uses bully pulpit and move, then they would become instantly viable. So that's one solution, right? Just a, a pure market, supply and demand uh, a dynamic, right? Right. Uh, I, I'm a, did you want to comment on that? I think you wanted to comment on that. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting to me. Just to kind of give the recap, not that it really needs it, but we... The news has to follow the president, and so if the president goes, listen, everyone's censoring me, I'm going to start giving one-hour speeches on the YouTube competitor, and you can go find it there. Everyone's got to go there because it's Donald Trump, and he's the president, and what he says matters in the news, and anyone who wants to hear him directly will go there, so he can instantly make any other platform essentially viable. Um, the only hiccup to that, and maybe this is absolute bullshit, is that people would accuse him of... Um, you know, profit, maybe like some sort of a profiteering that you could say, hey, like Joe Rogan just made a hundred million dollars to be exclusive with Spotify. Um, if Donald Trump is going over to this platform exclusively, like he's going to be getting paid out afterwards or what is the inside story here? But that that's kind of standard, standard fare. And in, in this case, it would actually be effective. But that's the only thing I see as being a potential risk factor I in that one. I can, I can understand that, but like, how is that any different from his massive presence on Twitter and Facebook right now? Right, like, he's basically giving them the audience for right free, and they're, and they're giving him a problem, so fuck those platforms. Why am I bringing my audience to your platforms? Um, which, is, yeah. which is a very interesting way to look at it. Okay, so option one... But if, but if he wanted to break the cartel, right, if he wanted to break the monopoly, he's got the muscle. Right. But he hasn't. Instead, he just tweets and, and whines and complains. Right. And and uh, and I'm kind of getting tired of it myself here, seeing him tweet every day about how Twitter's you know manipulating his tweets or hiding his tweets or censoring him. And I'm like, I elected you to do something about this, and there are solutions out there. So why are you whining to me about it? Right. That's really <laughs> uh, funny because it's like, dude, you told me you were going to go build a wall, and now you've resorted so low of being so not strong of a person that you're complaining about a tech company, uh, you know, the censoring you when there's enough ways to get your message out. Dude, you could be starting a podcast. You're Donald Trump. Like, you, yeah. you start doing the weekly podcast. It'll be the most listened to thing yeah. in the country. Yeah. Yeah. And you can even keep the Twitter account for a while or permanently, but... 
but so there's there's plenty of, of uh, uh, you know smart people out there that can strategize with them on on a on a more comprehensive social media strategy that helps break the back of the tech he the could, tech cartel. He could literally just start posting on the other. Here is what here is what they would have censored for me for my newest post. Go here. Here's another yeah. hot take that I had that they would have censored for it. Go here. He could just do that yeah. until they ba- tried to ban his accounts, and he could probably muscle them out of banning his accounts. Going, hey, you can't ban my account for uh, for promoting something else that's against your guidelines or whatever the fuck it is. That would be both a hilarious troll by him and pretty effective. I dig it. Yeah, so that's an easy one, right? That's a low-hanging fruit. It's a no-brainer, and people have been crying for him to do it for years. At least, you know, at least three years people have been big. I, I know I have. Uh, and here's another, here's another thing he said uh, that they could do. Uh, they could break up the big tech companies. Uh, these things are massive monopolies, you know, uh, and there's precedent, uh, there's plenty of precedent for breaking up these big companies that have these massive monopolies like Amazon, Google, Facebook. Uh, you know, they broke up the, the Bell, uh, the Bell company, right? And uh, so uh, they could, uh, from an antitrust uh, point of view, it's not so much regula- uh, ongoing regulation as it is, you know, you're too big for your britches. There's too big of a concentration of power here. And it's not in the interest of the market or the American people or the country to have a few companies, be they private or not, to have so much power, right? Too much power, whether it's government or something else, is dangerous to our republic. And so I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a strictly legal uh, uh, expert on antitrust, but it seems to me that there's a case for just breaking these big tech companies up uh, and spinning off uh, subsidiaries and creating a more vibrant ecosystem. Uh, and so the government's not like permanently regulating them. It's sort of like once in a while come, coming in and chopping things up when it when it thinks somebody's getting too big for the bridges. That yeah. one's interesting. I don't love it because to me it's a it's another. You end up with you're essentially creating a regulation, and I guess my biggest fear would be that like. Google manages to get in the hairs of whoever's putting that policy together, and so they come out a little bit stronger than the other guys, and now they're super strong. Or Amazon well, comes yeah, out. There's, there's, so it's not a slam dunk, right? Yeah. It is an approach. It is an approach that keeps that keeps the government more in the referee space, like you know, just the strictly referee space rather than the regulatory space. If that makes sense. Uh, uh, and like I said, antitrust law is long, it's well-established, uh, you know, it's not something that's like, um, what's the word, it's not, it's not impenetrable, right? It's not some impenetrable idea that, that is rarely used. It's, it's, it's got, you know, over a hundred years of case law and precedent. So, uh, you know, these things can be done, right? Now, let me just, uh, I, we're not going to go too into the weeds on this one because, um, I don't really want to. That's why. Uh, but it, what like comes to your mind, like top of the head, good antitrust like case that the government brought broke up a company and over like a long term time frame worked out better for us. Well, I think that I think I said one. The Bell when 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 the government broke up, uh, you know, the Bell the Ma Bell companies and, and spun off several different uh, that's phone the f- companies. the phone so companies. But even with that, it like that one to me is a little bit, you know, you look at the hundred year perspective and landlines are mostly irrelevant. Um, well, now, 
but for a long time, it was relevant, right? Because there was one company that controlled like all international and local calling, right? And you were locked into their rates and their services, and that was it, right? Right. Um, but I'm saying from a long enough, you know, standpoint, at some point, technology took care of that problem for us. And like, theoretically, that market maybe could have advanced more to stay ahead of what became wireless or cell phones. I can't say that for fact, uh, but it does seem to me like technology seems to replace, you know what I mean? It seems to me like the market doesn't really support full monopolies over a long enough time well, frame. But see here, but there again, you run into the problem right now. There's sort of a, there's a, there's a collusion and a cartel. Uh, we see this in the, um, we see this a lot in the, uh, in the, in the cable companies right now where there's only a very few principal, really large national cable and internet companies. And they kind of, to some degree, sort of stay out of each other's way. They kind of got the country carved up. And I buy that. stayed out of each other's way, you know? I buy that. Uh, in and, other words, what you're kind of saying is that the reason why these things are so powerful is because the government and their position with the government. So to, like, take a free market perspective and go, hey, the free market, you got to leave it alone. That's the best way to do it. Well, it's already not a free market. The government's already propped up these players, and now they've propped them up to the point where they're colluding with each other, and it's essentially a monopoly between a couple companies, and it's really fucking us and removing free speech. So it makes sense for the government to also step in and correct its mistake that it's allowed a few people to get a little bit too powerful and in a macro right. sense, it makes like if we could, if there's a perfect government working in a perfect way, it's a thing that self-regulates entities, even itself, from becoming too powerful. And so, one of the players that is too powerful right now is big tech. And so, it makes sense for government to make that correction. That's right. I mean, it's not really, it's not really a free market. Uh, it's a private market, but a private market isn't necessarily a free market. They're not necessarily the same thing. It's not a, and, and a free market isn't necessarily a vibrant market. And, and so, uh, and so like one or two companies that absolutely just dominate a space and sort of just kind of stay out of each other's way. And, and we're getting, that's not a, that's not a, uh, you know, they got us over a barrel, if you will. Right. And that's right. not a, that's not a healthy free market. So, so the government, I think has a role there, you know, how far and what it is, you know, that's for, you know, people with more, you know, acumen than me to decide. But that, that's a solution. We're talking about potential solutions where we don't just make these companies public companies, right? right. So I don't... I'll give you a, I, I, give you a third idea. Well, you know just, just on that one, so I'm just going to yeah. rate it. I don't love that one. However, I myself have said that as a like... In a perfect free, like for instance, I'll just say open borders in a totally, if we didn't have government programs and we didn't have uh, benefits, you know, for uh, illegal aliens or second generation people, I go, all right, I think open borders are better. But once you create, you know, all these social benefits that are coming through the government, I go, well, then you can't have an open border. And so just for the sake of consistency, I'm just kind of talking to my fans, my own thought process. What you're saying is we don't have a pure free market here. It's kind of the same thing as saying, hey, we need a border there. So... I, I I can accept what you're saying market. on it's that. A car, it's, a, yeah. it's, it's more of a system of cartels and corporatism than a than a than a vibrant free market, right? I mean, when you if you have sucky internet, how many choices do you have? Uh, you know, to, uh, <laughs> to 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 find something better. What, like maybe one or two other choices? Right. And it, most people around the, around the country have like what one or two choices. You know. All right. Uh, vi- viable. So anyway. Uh, so third there's, option. There's a role there. Uh, there's a third option, 
and I'm not necessarily, in, I, I definitely endorse the, the first option where Donald Trump, uh, and I definitely think that, uh, that antitrust litigation and perhaps breaking up some of these, these huge, uh, these huge companies should be explored. The third option is making speech a civil, a protected civil right, like, uh, like race or gender. And now I'm not a huge fan of this one because I think that the idea of some, uh, rights being, uh, uh, enforced on businesses over others is, is flawed. So, like, businesses can't discriminate against, you know, uh, race or gender or uh, or sex, rather, and some other things, right? Right. Uh, and so, so I, you know, that was that was kind of flawed. Where like some people said, well, these are the things that uh, that government should protect, whereas those things shouldn't be protected by the government. Well, that's just your opinion, man. Like, right. What if somebody else wants these other things? So you could you could just make speech a protected civil right, similar to you know political views rather. Your political views and speech are protected civil right, just like sex, religion, and you know, and race. I've and then and then people once they get if a business or a tech company discriminates against them, then you just hire a lawyer like you would for any of those other discriminatory things, and you litigate, and then and then it's not too long before they stop doing that. I got to tell you, I've said that about um, comedy. I don't, I don't totally hate that one because I've said I have a, I have a political opinion that making offensive jokes is an acceptable thing to do. And to me, that is like a political point of view of free speech and not political mm-hmm. correctness. That like, if something is funny, I'm a fan of things that are funny. And as a result of that opinion, there are jobs in comedy and television that I cannot get. And I feel that is a form of discrimination. That's almost a violent, like, it, it, to yeah. me, it's almost a religious or political view. And it, like what you're describing, the same is they're not allowed to discriminate for um, race or, you know, your religion. So if I have a strong political view and it's not, you know, it, it, it's not bigoted and it doesn't cause harm to people. It's not saying it's not a political view of, hey, let's shoot people in the street or of discrimination. Right. It's that if I say something that's funny, I'm allowed to say it if other people think it's funny. And so why like yeah. that? That to me, it is a discrimination. And it, theoretically, I think it's a violation of what your you know freedom of speech should be. Yeah. Now, and now people say, well, it's a, they're private companies. They can do what they want. Yeah. But unless you make, unless, uh, but they're not allowed to discriminate uh, on certain things under federal law. So you just put speech or political, uh, you know, philosophy under that. And now they can't, uh, they can't put in their manipulative terms of service. You know, they can't finagle a term of service that whereby if you're a conservative, we can ban you. <laughs> right. No, that's that, that's fairly reasonable, and it, it's kind of like what option two was. Hey, listen, in a perfectly free market, I could running a business is incredibly hard. You should be able to hire whoever the hell you want, whoever you got to show up to work with, and you get along with. You should be able to show up to that office and hang out with the people that you want to get along with. No one should force you to hire someone that you don't want to hire. However, that's right. not the way the world operates. They'll come in and say, that's "Hey, not that's not what we've decided. We've decided." We've decided against that perfect operation, and and we've decided to make some exceptions. And so, so what's wrong with another exception? Right. The more reasonable exception yeah. is probably, hey, if you've got a different opinion than other people, you're still allowed to be on the platform, and you're not going to be censored for having a different opinion. Also reasonable. And if you do, then hire a lawyer and go after them, just like you would if they if they you know discriminated against you for your race or, or your or your sex. 
you know what? I'm I'm starting to like option three, and you had prefaced option three that you didn't that you like this the least of your options. Well, because I, I I think you I think you elucidated it well. It's not the perfect world where it's not the perfect you know free world where uh, you know where we just let businesses operate how they want to operate, right? Uh, and from that point of view, it's not the perfect solution. But from like here, but as you said, well, it's not what we've chosen. <laughs> we've decided to go a different way. So. Uh, so it's sort of like, well, do we continue down that path or there's still people that believe in undoing that, right? That want to, the dream about undoing, uh, forcing businesses to, uh, to couch out of these things, right? So it's sort of, it's sort of middling, if you will. Now, uh, and I only said that I'm not a fan of it as much a fan of it simply from that point of view, because it's, it's still a little messy, but on the other hand, it creates a vibrant market between lawyers and companies and people that litigate it on the, their own. And it kind of keeps the government in some ways, out of it. Now, what I really like about option three, um, I read a book a while ago called Why Nations Fail. I don't know if you've ever read that, but Why Nations Fail was a very good uh, outlining of how democracy should work, that we've got this government, it's a necessary evil, but it's constrained by a document called the Constitution. Now, to me, it's kind of the, the showing of how that model didn't work because we didn't really follow the Constitution. Um, but what's interesting about option three is that we're not really creating a government body to regulate these companies that can then censor and be manipulated. It's kind of operating like a constitution. We're creating one flat law, which is you're not allowed to censor people for the following opinions. So it's not like the FCC can come in and go, well, we're regulating what's going on here and we're the FCC and we don't want people making filthy jokes. You're not allowed to make filthy jokes like what radio was. It's us saying, hey, one standard rule, zero censorship and or zero censorship for political views, which would even mean if someone's, uh, hey, I'm I'm the Nazi account on Twitter and I'm posting Nazi shit. Sorry, it's a protected right to to post your Nazi shit on uh, on Twitter. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and then it's just left up to the courts and people and lawyers uh, and the, sort of a, a quasi-private market, if you will, to, to you know, to, to, to litigate it out and solve the problems. And the government's just kind of hands off, except for the courts, of course. Uh, now, and then there's this other, there's this fourth option where people talk about, you know, this platform versus publisher carve-out that the uh, the social media giants enjoy, and I guess that's viable, too, but it requires Congress, uh, and it, it also requires Congress to, you know, to do something, but I think it's pretty clear that the big tech companies own Congress, you know, uh, in a way, and they're not going to do anything about it, I don't, I don't see so uh, I think it's just going to be, I, I think at the end of the day, it's just going to have to be patriots and people working together, uh, and it's going to take time, and, uh, it, you know, it's just going to take time, and there's no quick solution. I think that's, I think at the end of the day, it's not going to be a quick solution. Trump's not going to switch platforms. Congress isn't going to act. Uh, it's just going to have to be people getting together and pooling resources and eventually, you know, uh, we see Facebook kind of failing right now. I don't know about you. I have a Facebook account still, uh, but especially during, you know, since February, it's Facebook's turned into a dumpster fire. Uh, you know, I get on it so little now. It's just, it's, it's just, it, oh my gosh, it's horrible. The level of discourse on there is just horrible uh, and uh, depressing and, uh, you know, Facebook has made these bubbles. Uh, since I ran for office, I don't see any of my normal friends stuff anymore. I just see political stuff twenty four seven. 
uh, it's tire, tiresome, and uh, like I said, the level of discourse is probably the lowest of all the platforms, except for maybe YouTube comments. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I, so I think the, there's going to be some natural uh, forces, some, some things that rise up to take some places and take some market share. Uh, but it's just going to be a long road. It's going to be a long road for conservatives and people on the right and people who believe in free speech. All it's right. going to be quick. So let's yeah. go back to Trump was being censored over the clono, um, the hydroxychlorine. Uh, and hydroxychlorine, yeah. So yeah. just to kind of lay out what's striking me is very weird and interesting about the hydroxychlorine, and then I'll let you take over. India sure. is all in on hydroxychlorine. They say it works. And part of why they say it works is I think they've got a lot of money in it working because they're one of the biggest manufacturers hydroxychlorine seemingly to me has been around a long time and people have used it safely. Now you've got the media going, Hey, this thing is not safe. Nobody should think that it should possibly work. And it seems like there's this other market force at work, which is the who and Gates, which is, um, seems to be pushing the gilded science and like their, uh, the, uh, I forget the the name of the thing that they're saying is going to cure this. Um, but they're going so far as to censoring Trump, who's not telling you, Hey, go out and take hydroxychlorine. He's just saying, I'm taking it. And it just seems to me like there's a lot of money on the table here of trying to push one potential cure at the cost of another that at least as an individual, you should be able to research and go, hey, maybe I want to take this hydroxychlorine thing. So I was just curious, um, you know, to explore firstly the who Falky Gates connection and what's going on there. Um, and then also just what the hell hydroxychlorine is and if it's nearly as like as bad as they're playing it off or if there might be some really good uses for it here. Yeah, so that's a lot to unpack. Let's, let's start off at the top. Uh, first of all, yeah, hydroxychloroquine has been around since the 50s. It's over-the-counter, has been over-the-counter in other countries for decades, like France. It was over-the-counter in France until January 11th or 15th, I believe. Uh, I get this. This is just a, uh, an interesting little aside on January 11th or 15th. I can't remember. I think it's the 11th. The Minister of Health in France pulled hydroxychloroquine off the shelves in France. Up until that point, it was something like uh, 10 pills for a euro, and it had been over the counter. Uh, they pulled it off the shelves on January 11th and, made, and put it, after it had been over the counter for decades, and made it, uh, and regulated it uh, so that you needed a prescription. Like, how on January 11th did they know to do that? How did she know to do that on January 11th, right? Very, very suspicious. Uh, but that speaks to its safety and its efficacy. Uh, it's been used for malaria, it's been used for gout, uh, and some other arthritic uh, and anti-autoimmune disorders uh, uh, for decades. It's, it's very, very safe. Uh, there, are, uh, there have been a few deaths attributed to it uh, due to uh, heart uh, conditions uh, over decades. But we're talking like just, just a, hand, a practical handful over hundreds of millions of prescriptions practically, right? So it's, it's very, very safe. It's one of the safest drugs uh, out there on the WHO's, you know, essential medication list. Uh, this uh, this uh, huge media blitz against it, and, and we see these lefties on, uh, I see these lefties every day on Twitter and news organizations constantly putting out, oh, it's dangerous and be careful with it, and, and we shouldn't be using it. And only with your doctor's prescription, you can just see the forces arrayed against it because there's no money in it. Uh, now, to your point, India has put out a lot of data showing that it's quite effective. 
now they are a large manufacturer of it, so maybe there's something something to be said about it there. However, several other countries have been using it uh, quite effectively to reduce uh, their uh, their COVID uh, issues. Co- Costa Rica, Dubai, uh, Iceland, uh, I-, I think Peru's using it. Uh, several other countries that don't uh, come immediately to mind. Uh, but uh, they use it early uh, to, to great effect. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, uh, it seems like every study uh, that sh- uh, American study that shows uh, it not working or it be- being ineffective is horribly flawed. Let's talk about the NIH uh, VA study that was like, I don't know, what, a month, month or two ago now? A uh, month, month and a half ago. A horrible design. Uh, they gave it. Uh, they gave it to uh, advanced cases of COVID in the hospital already. You know, nobody's claiming that it. Nobody serious is claiming that it can save. You know, lives of the sickest, oldest people that are already in the hospital. Right? Uh, they're claiming that if used early, it can inhibit the virus early and keep uh, COVID from developing, or it can reduce the. Uh, you know, the severity of the symptoms. So what do they go out and do? They go out and, and do this study of people that are really sick and on death's doorstep already. And then it doesn't work, and they say, look, it doesn't work. And you're like, that's a, it's a horrible study, right? Uh, so then the New England, so that was just credit. So then the New England Journal of, of course, the media, the media touted that. And I, I saw politicians, you know, leftist politicians touting those talking points. Oh, NIHDA study, you know, uh, discredits hydroxychloroquine. Well, no, it didn't. Uh, so then they had this New England Journal of Medicine study that came out after that. Same problem. They were giving it to people who were already hospitalized. Uh, and then, then you had another, uh, this other WHO study that was this massive, well, not, what, 96,000 retrospective uh, study, retrospective case study. And, and the WHO suspended, uh, suspended the study and other studies and recommended against using hydroxychloroquine based on the study. And it was published in The Lancet. In the journal Lancet, and it's now come out in the last few days that uh, it was based on bogus manufactured data. And today or yesterday, the Lancet retracted it. Uh, now, what's interesting about that? You mentioned Fauci. Uh, when this Lancet study came out, he didn't waste a second getting up on TV saying hydroxychloroquine is a failure. We got to wait for the vaccine. You know, this and remdesivir. I think that's the medication that you were uh, forgetting the name of. But now the, the Lancet has completely retracted that study. He's nowhere to be found. He's nowhere to be found saying, oh, it was a mistake. Well, perhaps there's still something here. Uh, so, there, you know, his, his uh, social people, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go get online and find the videos and, and articles of collaboration between Gates and NIH and the CDC and Fauci. Uh, these guys, uh, Fauci's running a vaccine business. Uh, I think something like five, uh, five billion of the, of the CDC's $11 billion budget is spent purchasing vaccines from big pharma. Uh, and, and Fauci himself has several uh, vaccine related patents. So he stands to make a lot of money from vaccines. Uh, and he's part of this cloning network and he has been for decades. So he's pushing vaccines. Gates is pushing vaccines for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is he stands to make money off him himself, but he's also 
Uh, I, I recommend going to the Corbett Report on YouTube or BitChute. It's called the Corbett Report, and he has a set of four videos exposing Bill Gates. And one of them is called Bill Gates and the Population Control Grid. So if you type up, type in uh, the Corbett Report, uh, you'll be able to find Bill Gates, the Population Control Grid. But he's pursuing a variety of technologies, digital, bio-digital ID, vaccine verification, uh, the kinds of things that are really suspicious uh, and, and, and worrisome. Uh, but they seem to all be in it, in it together. There seems to be just uh, an insistence that we have to have a vaccine. We can't have this cheap, <laughs> this cheap remedy, right, uh, of hydroxychloroquine. Uh, I think that's very, I think it's very telling. Here's an interesting thing. Uh, the Gates Foundation is actually sponsoring uh, a study of early use of hydroxychloroquine. So you're like, oh, finally, a study of using hydroxychloroquine early. Well, here, here, here's three reasons. Uh, here's three reasons to why it's problematic. Number one, they're not using zinc in the study, and the allegation is that zinc is very important, and that hydroxychloroquine is a zinc ionophore, which helps transport zinc into the infected cells and, it and inhibits viral replication. And there's a lot of evidence for this. And by the way, one, without knowing much about it, the zinc combo. Uh, is what they've been doing since like the fifties to combat malaria. Like, isn't that what the that's right. like? That's so right. why, why would you try, test half the medication? Yeah, uh, we know it's safe. It's known. It's known to be safe. What we don't know is how effective it is against uh, the COVID. But but what they're but they're but they're but they're uh, attacking its safety as a reason for not using it when it's perfectly safe. Um, from a, I mean, as safe as a drug can be, practically. I mean, it's, I think it's, I, it's a safer, safer than aspirin, practically. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, but so number one, in this Gates-sponsored study, they're not using it with zinc, right? So right there, that's going to perhaps reduce its efficacy. Number two, uh, the control group is using vitamin C, which is already known to have, to be an effective treatment for COVID. So they're so they're not using uh, uh, a sugar placebo. You're not using the sugar. They're actually using a medication that's going to have some effectiveness, some efficaciousness. So that's going to narrow the gap between the control group and the treatment group already. Just right. So you're going to narrow that gap because they're not using zinc, perhaps, and they're going to narrow the gap because they're using uh, vitamin C for the control group. So you got a narrow gap there with two two factors. But there's a third factor in this study. It's not scheduled to be have any published results, I think, until sometime in the fall. So it's going to take several months to get this data, right? So they're, they're, it's a slow walk. They're slow walking. They're, they're, they're running out the clock, if you will, trying to get us into the fall when, uh, they're, there's, when they're predicting that there's going to be a second wave and a spike in cases, right? Uh, and so, you know, what they're trying to do is they're trying to keep alive the idea that we need this vaccine, that we have to be afraid, that we can't get leave our houses, that you know we have to live in fear, we got to wear these masks. Uh, you can just kind of see the, the the forces out there aligned against this cheap, safe drug, uh, and it, it's crazy. I mean, it's just absolutely nuts. So that's. That's kind of what I have to say on that topic right now. All right. And so on that, with the scaring us to be yeah. in our houses, I'm telling you, the epi you can go check this. The episode you and I did discussing the coronavirus was, I think, probably three weeks before the lockdown and at least two weeks before it was hitting 
like when we were talking about it, it was, hey, there's this thing that's going on in China that might turn into a big deal out over here. And you were saying, right. hey, listen, I don't want to cause panic and alarm, but I'm letting you guys give I'm giving you the inside look that you should start stocking up on some food and some gear because I'm predicting this is going to be a big deal. It turned out to be that's a right. huge fucking deal. But now that we have a little bit more insight into how the virus is operating, to, like and taking a look at kind of the death rates here and probably what the infection rate was, how ridiculous was like the shutdown and keeping people in their houses and like what would you say of it actually landing yeah, here? So yeah, back when we had that first our original podcast in what mid to late February, uh, the data that we were getting made it look horrible, right? Uh, and, uh, and that was largely based on that modeling from the Imperial Imperial College, right? The Imperial College modeling. Uh, and, uh, and it, and it looks legit, right? So we we're like, wow, there could be what, two to two and a half, three million deaths in the United States, you know, hospitals overrun. That's what it looked like. And so, uh, you know, to the best, to the best of our knowledge, uh, we saw those videos leaking out from China and it looks horrible. Right. Uh, and so, uh, so at the time that seemed like a reasonable position. I think now with the benefit of hindsight, uh, we can see that it just didn't materialize, and we've since learned that that uh, that, that Imperial College model uh, I read has something like 360 different independent variables, and the coding is uh, practically black boxed and impenetrable. Nobody's been able to reproduce uh, reproduce uh, his, the guy's results that, that who built this model. Nobody's been able to reproduce his results. Uh, uh, and nobody, nobody I also, has been able to tweak the model to to get it to get it to yield the outcome that we're actually experiencing. I also like, heard even, this guy has okay. had multiple wrong models. Like if they were to tell you the history yeah. of his wrong models, you go, why the fuck are you listening to this guy? He got like um he got the mad cow disease wrong. He's gotten like He got SARS. He got original SARS wrong. He got H one N one wrong. And and we're talking like massive orders of magnitude wrong. Like ridiculously wrong. Like if average Joe Citizen saw what he predicted for those and then saw what the outcomes were, they would have laughed him off the stage uh, for this one, like nobody would have even listened to him or taken him seriously. And then the nobody. confidence game of the of mainstream media that goes, "Hey, this is what the scientists are saying. Don't speak out against the scientists. Don't question the scientists. This is absolute right. fact." And then it's like it doesn't even take more than two reasonable questions. Okay, who is the scientist? What is his track record? Can you give me a rough idea of what the science was used here? And the answer to that question yeah. is, it's one guy. His track record is zero for four. They were yep. epically wrong decisions, and we can't question the model because there really isn't anything here. It's a black box, and nobody can reproduce it. And that's well, like it's not, it's not technically a black box, uh, but the coding, I guess, is so complicated. Uh, that nobody's nobody's even been able to tweak the model, give give it the right inputs to get the outputs that we're seeing. So like, it, you, we can't even reproduce reality with. So it's just, it's just <laughs> but it's literally the four like you're not allowed. They're telling us don't think critically. If you were to present that yeah. information to a smart third grader and say, hey, do you have any questions for this guy to see if it's accurate? He would ask those questions. They're simple questions. They're basic questions. Right. And yet, like the, it, the media has such a, you know, 
confidence game and like control over all of our thoughts that you're ashamed to even asking critical questions that people are going to die if you question this. That's where they well, go to. Well, you're not allowed to. Like, we saw YouTube banning people if you did. And this gentleman I told you, this reporter for the New York Times who wrote a book saying that uh, the coronavirus uh, response was way overblown uh, and it, you know, it shouldn't have been done. And that, I guess that's the gist of his book. And Amazon deplatformed it. You know, uh, so, you know, there's there's clearly an agenda in play here. And we see kind of how they work, right? They go shopping, they control, they have their people in academia and in the scientific world, and they they shop it. Like, you know, so they get their guy at the, they get a couple scientists to create this bogus study at the NIH or this bogus who study, right, using the manufactured fraudulent data. And then they get their cronies at the Lancet to publish it. And then they get their cronies in the media to... to you know, uh, uh, carpet bomb the internet and airwaves with the results of this test, right? And so with a very few people and very few resources, they're able to absolutely control and police the narrative. Uh, and then it turns out it's just absolute hogwash. Absolute hogwash. Okay. Uh, but you got, you got half the population that believes it. So now let's look at, what like, the current situation. I saw that from Italy... <laughs> They're now saying, and this didn't make total sense to me, but people that are now getting the coronavirus, for whatever reason, they're not showing symptoms in the same way. Like now, even the people that are like coming in and have the coronavirus, it's like, I guess human beings have somewhat figured out how to fight it. So it's just not, it's not as bad. So like based on just what we've seen in terms of death rates, and I'm not really totally 100% on that Italy thing because, you know, it's doctor talk. I'm not, I'm not a science guy really. Um, is it time to just be like, all right, they fucking, they got us. We've been in our homes for no reason. Everyone should be going back to work. Like, is there much, much risk here or? Well, here's what, here's what I think. Yeah. Let me answer that. So first of all, we know that the, the, the mortality rate for people under 25 is one in 1.25 million. Let me say that again. The mortality rate, uh, for people under 25 who catch COVID is one in 1.25 million. So if for every 1.25 million people under 25 who get COVID, one will die. Uh, I mean, is that really worth shutting down the schools and our economy for? Uh, I think the national average in the United States is 44% now of all deaths come from nursing homes. And I think uh, half of those come from New York and New Jersey alone. Which, by the and way... Cuomo was the one shoving people with COVID-19 into the exactly. nursing homes. Exactly, and that's exactly where I was going. He had the hospital ship. Remember, they, they sent the, the U.S. Navy's hospital ship docked right there in New York Harbor. They didn't use it. They, had, uh, they constructed temporary makeshift hospitals in Manhattan uh, and some other places, I guess. Uh, didn't even use them. What he did is he sent uh, sick people and COVID and Corona positive people into the nursing homes. And he also inserted into uh, a New York state law passed in March uh, that indemnified nursing home uh, owners and, and companies uh, against coronavirus deaths. So this looks very, to me, it looks premeditated. It looks intentional. Uh, it's inexcusable because even at that point in time, we knew that old people were the hardest hit. We already knew that. Uh, we knew it intuitively, number one, and uh, we had that data as well. We already had data from Italy and China that this hit older people much harder. 
right? So we knew it from a factual basis and we knew it from an intuitive basis that older people with health problems would be the hardest hit. And they intentionally sent it into nursing homes. And it happened in Michigan where it's a Democrat governor. It happened in New York with the Democrat governor. It happened in New Jersey with the Democrat governor. It happened in Pennsylvania with the Democrat governor and, and transgender Democrat uh, minister of health, who, by the way, took his own mother out of the nursing home as he sent other sick patients into the nursing homes. Uh, so, uh, so what you have happened is you had an explosion of early deaths and cases uh, but no, it wasn't reported that these were from nursing homes. It was just reported as, man, there's this massive outbreak in New York and New Jersey and these places. And it, and it, and it gave the sense to the public and the country at large uh, that this was a massive problem, and it panicked everybody. Uh, so it was, it was an artificial panic, in my, in my estimation. And why do you they think... Sent, okay, so let's put our tinfoil hat... Yeah, here's the motive. They sent yeah. people... They, they tried to make it as bad as possible to create panic, uh, just like they're doing with these riots. It's, it was a coordinated, uh, I think it was a, it was coordinated by design uh, to make this thing as bad as possible and give them as much cover as possible for their authoritarian policies as possible. That's what I think. And so I guess the biggest authoritarian policy is, one, the amount of money that's been handed over to the banks and have bailed out the entire financial sector. That is an authoritarian yep. policy. It robs us of our wealth. Who knows the inflation yep. that's coming? And the second one is that, you know, a couple, well, actually a few years ago, the fact that the NSA was able to do contact tracing between people's cell phones, that they had everyone's phone records, and if they wanted to see who you were in touch with, well, they weren't really admitting to that. They didn't want us to know that there was that technology. Now, they've made it well known that not only do they have that technology, they actually know your cell phone location, and they know everyone that you're around all of the time. And they're working with the tech companies because they could put a system live to know who are you, who is where at any given point in time. And if we're willing to give over our freedom, they could start telling anyone at any given moment, hey, you are infected or you've been exposed. You need yeah, to be in your house. And that's the gateway. That's just the gateway, yeah. right? They, and, uh, to, to actually um, more stringent uh, tech control overall, right? Uh, using contact tracing and coronavirus is just a sort of a, a feel-good, you know, legitimizing first step, right? It's the first right. step that opens the door to a bunch of other technologies and things that they want to do. Uh, and one one need only look at China to see the, the social credit system they've implemented that American big tech helped them build and implement to see what they want to do here, right? So that's a massive, it's been a massive power grab and alteration to the fundamental organization of American society to basically have the government working with big tech to create 24-7 tracking and tracing, right? Under the guise of, well, this is going to keep people safe. But that's just the first step, you know? That it's, it's, you know it's, the old, it's the old saying in sales, land and expand. Right now, they're trying to land. Later, they will expand, right? And uh, they're just going to expand the tech tyranny. Uh, that's my opinion, but I think, I think anybody who, who uh, thinks that this, this is just some uh, some innocent, uh, you know, that this is going to go away when coronavirus goes away, you know, think again. And well, by the way, yeah, uh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, you know, this is, this is an interesting, I would like to know how, how close this, co this coordination between the government and big tech is on this, because, uh, you know, at, at what point are, if the, these big techs are doing the bidding of government, are, are they still just private companies? Like, can they really keep, Deplatforming us and censoring us 
if the government is working through them to track and trace us? I mean, like, it seems like that blonde, that line is becoming really blurry, getting really blurry, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think so, in terms of these technologies going live, I mean, this is so incredible. We're fe- people are fed up with an enemy that doesn't exist. We've like, there's people, my parents are like this. They could not have taken this thing more seriously. They mostly have not been in the house in months. It gets fucking testy as all hell in this house. And the, we've, we've given up our own freedoms because of some fictional enemy. And what's going to happen is the government's going to come in and go, listen, I can solve this enemy problem. You just have to give over a little bit of your freedom that if we tell you you got to go to your house, it means you've been exposed. And reasonable people who were just tortured for five months because they thought that there was a boogeyman out there, they're going to go, man, that sounds like a really reasonable solution. And when, when that's going to become like, here's more one of my biggest fears with this is that like you, you were saying with the uh land and expand sometimes once like um something happens once it becomes somewhat normalized like i almost think and yeah. this is an out there perspective yeah. but i think the news media has a tremendous role in the school shooting problem in this country because i think that now if you're disenfranchised youth like it, before you know whose brain would go to doing something that sick the couple kids from Columbine and that probably would have been the one-off. But now if you're a really disturbed teen, there's like, Oh, I guess I'm sp- like, I'm supposed to play that role in this movie. That is something that people like. So I, I know that that's a little bit crazy and far out there, but I think that's true. Like it is now normal that they can shut down the entire economy because of an, a, like a disease. Like that's that right. was, that was not normal a year ago. If they, in three not, months. Yeah. yeah. It was not normal six months ago. Right. And these riots, they're not normal, but they're becoming, Normalized. Uh, every and all these normalizations take us ever closer to tyranny, more tyranny. We were, we're already living under a lot of tyranny, so they just take us more, uh, closer to even more tyranny. Uh, and um, you know, to that point, I just—it's uh, terrifying. Uh, you know, the technologies that are developing to track us. You know, with cameras and and our phones and electronics, and that's what Bill Gates wants to do. He wants to in, implant quantum dots on us, or. Or introduce wearable, you know, bio digital IDs that can that, you know, uh, we can be tracked twenty four seven, and 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 tracking is always a precursor to control. Always tracking Absolutely. is a precursor to control. Uh, and so, you know, to your earlier point about you know shutting down the economy, forty two million people are out of work now, and they're getting universal basic income. Yeah, right? how crazy which is I, which that? I like to call universal basic communism. Well, I mean, uh, that is insane. <laughs> Universal basic income was the fringe dude on the on the debate stage that everyone's like, okay, that's too much free stuff. We like free stuff, yeah. but just giving up, giving people money, that's a little bit too out there. And that was a policy that, if I had to guess, it would have gone live in ten years. In ten years, as we drifted towards socialism, we would have gotten to the point where someone was able to sell that as this is absolutely necessary. They managed to turn up the time frame on that potential government program by a full decade. That is now normal. Yeah. Too the fact that they can just yeah. afford to give everybody twelve hundred bucks a month—that's normal now. That 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 that's totally yeah. doable. And there's people who don't want to go back to work now. Yeah, because they're they're making thirty percent more. Uh, yeah. okay, <laughs> absolutely wild, Mr. Parker. I-, I could talk to you all night. This is an absolute pleasure. You brought some really interesting yeah. ideas to the table. Uh, I'm recording out of my car, and I'm—it's like a sauna. I'm dripping in sweat, and so. We're going to call it here. I'll give you, if you had anything else you wanted to throw out there, but this was fascinating and I really appreciate it. Well, hey, Robbie, thanks for your time. Thanks for giving me a voice. I wish all your, uh, you know, I wish all your listeners the best. I wish them good health. But, you know, also get out there. Be strong. Take risks. 
be Americans. Uh, don't don't fall prey to the stay safe, stay inside. Uh, uh, you know, cockamamie bullshit. <laughs> Maybe you need to. Uh, but you know, be reasonable. But you know what? Be an American. Go out there, take risks, and help rebuild the country. I like it. Sam, really appreciate it. I hope uh, maybe in a couple months, hopefully the world's back to normal. But if it isn't, you know, you can tell us what the fuck happened. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. We'll we'll check back. 